Hello and welcome to the Western Washington University Social Distance Warriors podcast where we are making connections and building resilience and wellness um, through conversations with our Western community. I'm Liz Stewart. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brandon Joseph and Deidre Evans. I'm excited to have a conversation today with um, Deidre, and I'll let you all introduce yourselves and share um, how about something that you have either purchased during quarantine that you have quite enjoyed um, or something that brings you comfort um, that you like to cook or eat? Because I want ideas for food right now, so. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Brandon Joseph, and I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I'm the men's resiliency specialist on campus. Um, I'm joining today from my not so clean office in my house, which is also my son's playroom. So it's that's why it's not so very clean. Um, one thing that brings me comfort is all sorts of food, but I would say my go-to is I make some really good grilled chicken wings, but they gotta be like the whole wing, right? It can't be it can't be the party style wings. It's gotta be the entire wing. But that's my comfort food. Mm, the big old wings, not the little party wings. Yeah, yeah, that's very crucial. It's very mm-hmm. got it. Deidre, welcome. We'd love for you to share a little bit about, um, you know, share your name and your pronouns and a little bit of your background. Um, You know, we are university um, based here. So if you want to share about your schooling background, that would be awesome. And then just what you do here at Western. um, And then that very important, crucial question of something that brings you comfort or that you've purchased during COVID. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me here today for this conversation. My name is Deidre Evans, and I use she, her, her pronouns, and I am the CASAS coordinator here at Western. So my primary role is working with students who have experienced violence and abuse, particularly sexual violence or relationship abuse, either currently or in the past. And I have been at Western now for two years. So this is my third fall, a little bit of a strange way to go into this new academic year, but I'm still enjoying it and glad that I can connect with my two coworkers today. Um, My background is in anti-violence work and working with survivors of violence. So I have been doing that for the past 11 years, primarily in nonprofits, but I got my start in working at universities when I was a graduate intern at Rutgers University, where I received my master's in clinical social work. So that's a little bit of my schooling background and what brought me to Western in particular. Oh, and then the most important question, I'm going to go on the food theme that Brandon went with, and I have started making homemade mac and cheese during quarantine. I was always someone who enjoyed eating other people's homemade mac and cheese, so I've learned how to make that, and I think it would go really well with Brandon's pick of chicken wings. So when we can get together and share food, let's do that. Is it, what kind of macaroni do you use? Oh, I just use the like elbow macaroni. Yeah, but you, have, 
you have to have like three different types of cheese and I'm not going to remember the ones that I've used, but I've tried all varieties now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a preference for noodle type, Brandon? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't know if you were going to go with the shells or. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea though. And I don't really like to bake mine. I've learned. I kind of like it when it you just made the sauce mm-hmm. and I don't really feel like you need the breadcrumbs. So apparently I've just learned a lot about my mac and cheese preferences. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm not sure if we're going to get along because I like mine baked with the crispy crust and all the breadcrumbs. Okay. I'd still eat it though. I would okay. turn it down. All right. Well, I suppose I should share my favorite thing and I'm going to combine these two because my partner bought me for Mother's Day this year in May, a whirly pop popcorn popper. It pops my popcorn just right. Um, But I love my whirly pop. I make popcorn almost every day and I have a very specific topping strategy. So All right. um, Our final kind of fun segment before we start um, diving into what you do and, um, you know, learn together about, um, yeah, all that you do at Western. Here's a little happy distraction. So this is an opportunity for us to not think about complexities and just choose a category in what we call this or that. So here's a little uh, Halloween theme, this or that, witches or goblins. Deidre. Witches. How about you, Brandon? Hmm. I had never even thought about that before. That's of probably- course you haven't. That's probably- a strong opinion. Is that the point of the game, I guess? Um, <laughs> I would have to say, yeah, I'll take witches because witches, can- goblins can't fly, right? So it's got to be witches. Yeah. Uh-huh. And goblins are creepy and witches can actually be really awesome and healing, right? Like they can be making herbal potions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Plus Hermione Granger. So there you go. How about puzzles or board games? Board games. I would say board games. Absolutely. I love a board game. Um, And I'm not the best at spatial reasoning. So puzzles are kind of hard for me. Coffee or tea? Coffee always. Uh, Definitely tea. I have my ice cream tea that I just brewed up because it's late afternoon and I needed a little kick. Nice. Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon for me. Um, Snowstorm or thunderstorms? I like a snow day. That's where (laughs) she just doesn't want to go to work, folks. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing. Yeah. You get to who doesn't love a snow day? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would also say snowstorm. Hmm. I think I'm a thunderstorm person. I just like to feel the literal electricity in the air. Uh, so, all right, here's a here's a Bellingham local this or that. Our final one: Padden or Boulevard? Oh, that's hard. I'm gonna say Lake Padden in the fall. So since it's fall time, I would want to be mm-hmm. at Lake Padden because all the leaves are changing. Yeah, and the less harsh wind coming off of the bay. <laughs> That's a good point. How about you, Brandon? Um, I would say, yeah, Lake Pad. And if it's hot, though, Boulevard. But, but that that play place at Boulevard is so crowded all the time. It's no, not even possible to get your child out there sometimes. Yeah, it, it's true. Yeah, I'm going to go with Padden as well. All right, plus just 
kind of a fun place to swim and paddle around. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, we're going to break real quick for some resources, and then we're going to dig into our topic today. In a continued effort to reduce the risk of COVID-19 infection among students and families during the holiday break, Western will provide free COVID testing to WW students in the Bellingham area the week before Thanksgiving. This expanded voluntary testing program will begin Monday, November 16th at Fraser Hall on a first-come, first-served basis. Students wishing to be tested must make an appointment on the My Western Health patient portal. The COVID-19 testing clinic in Fraser Hall will operate from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., November 16th to 19th, and November 23rd to the 24th. Space is limited, and students must have an appointment to be tested. Now back to the podcast. All right, we are back. So here we're here today with uh, Deidre Evans, who is the CASAS coordinator at WW. So Deidre, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is one of the reasons that we were excited to have you on for this episode. And I'm wondering if um, you could just share some information with our students and campus community about you know, what is intimate partner violence? What is domestic violence? What are some signs of it? And um, yeah, how can we, how can we recognize it if it's happening to us or someone we care about? Yeah, no, those I think are some really great, great questions. Um, I think this is a topic that isn't talked about as often as it probably should be. Uh, I think that Now there's a little more awareness than there has been in past generations, but I think it's still something that people are unsure about, right? So people are unsure of what do we really mean when we say domestic violence or dating violence or intimate partner violence. And there are these kind of like ideas of what it looks like or what it would be like to be in that relationship, right? So the first thing that comes to my mind is that people usually think of physical violence when they think of intimate partner violence. And while that is something that people will experience from their partners that survivors will talk about is something that they've been through, it's not always the most common or it's not always the thing that I think has impacted someone as much as we think. So I think it's it's important to just kind of put that out there and to think a little more broadly about what we mean when we talk about um, relationship abuse or when we talk about domestic violence. And so some things that kind of come to my mind or that I hear most frequently from young people um, is that they weren't really, in the beginning, weren't really sure if what they were experiencing was considered abuse, right? Or they weren't really sure if their relationship was unhealthy. Um, and that can be for many different reasons, but I think something that comes to mind is that people, um, that abuse doesn't, I think, happen all at once, right? Someone may be in a relationship with someone where there's some really like subtle ways in which control starts coming up, right? So where someone is kind of talking about, um, like limiting who someone may have contact with. So something as small as not liking any of your friends and always making comments about how, oh, I don't think your friends are really supportive of our relationship or I don't really like or like them or think that they like me. Maybe you shouldn't hang out with them anymore, right? So this concept of like 
isolating someone from their community um, or just a lot of like possessiveness and jealousy, right? So saying things like, I don't want you to hang out with those friends because I think that they're interested in you or I don't want you, when you dress that way, you get a lot of attention. So can you, can you not dress that way or can you not be so flirtatious? Um, so really kind of some accusations around potentially cheating or saying like, now that we're in a relationship, that's not really the way that you should be acting anymore. Um, I also think needing to know where someone is all the time is something that comes up a lot. So this idea of like needing to know where you are or having like a certain amount of time where you need to respond, right? So if someone texts you, if your partner texts you and it's like, I kind of expect a response within a certain period of time or someone's kind of fearful of what will happen if they don't respond in that, in that time frame, I think are all some things that come up pretty frequently for young folks when they're experiencing forms of violence and abuse. Cool, thank you, Deidre. Um, yeah. So kind of a good segue is and to just reintroduce a little bit about what you do. So um, can you just tell us a little bit in detail, like what is CASAS? Um, how will students get connected? Um, what can they expect, um, you know, in working with it, with your department and things like that? Yeah, so CASAS is a free and confidential resource here on Western's campus. I'm the primary contact and primary advocate working with students um, who reach out to my office. I would say if any student has a concern about a relationship that they're in or a relationship that they have been in, they feel like it has impacted them in negative ways uh, and they're looking for a space to talk about what that experience is or to know more about resources that are available or support that they might be looking for. Sometimes a student is looking to get connected with a therapist. Sometimes they're looking for support group options. Um, sometimes they have more of a concern around a legal concern, maybe looking for a protection order, anything like that. I would suggest that students can reach out to CASAS. So we have a general voicemail line that is checked uh, daily Monday through Friday. And so students can call that phone number. It's 360-650-3700. And just leave a message with their name, phone number, and or email. And then I will follow up with them typically within about 24 hours. Uh, and really students, I don't think you need to know much more about what they're gonna talk about in that appointment or in that phone call. It's just that that idea of like, I think I need to talk to someone or I want to know a little bit more about what support is available and we'll just go from there. So for some students, it's I think one phone call, maybe an email about some resources that they could get connected with. And for others, maybe they wanna meet more frequently. Maybe they wanna meet and talk on a weekly basis or looking for some support related to their academics or just looking for more support to feel safe on campus, um, they can have more kind of ongoing contact with me. Uh, I have a question for you, Deidre. Yeah. So if a student contacts you, are you required to report that to the Office of Title IX? No. So costs. Or I'm sorry, we're called the Equal Opportunity Office here at Western. No. A, lot, a lot of places have a Title IX office, but here it's called the 
Equal Opportunity Office. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So I am not considered a mandatory reporter for Western Western's campus. So contacting the CASAS office, meeting with me in no way starts a reporting process with the university and I do not contact law enforcement on campus or within Bellingham. So I want students to know that I can review what their reporting options are, what their legal options are, if that feels helpful, but they do not have to, nor will they be um, asked to engage in that process. So that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. So what I'm hearing is that you really let the student survivor or, um, you know, the person who's been impacted uh, lead the process and kind of decide what their best next step is. Yes, absolutely. So that is, uh, I think, the best way to sum up what my role is, right? I think people deserve to know what options are available. They deserve to be supported in a process of healing or to feel supported in leaving a relationship, but that they're the one who should be making making those choices, right? So in um, instances of relationship abuse, one person is really kind of in, in control of choices and kind of has the power in that relationship when they're exerting that abuse or that violence. And so it's important for the student or for the person who's experienced harm to to have control of the process and be the one who's making those choices. Great, yeah. I'm I'm also wondering, so um, your role is to support student survivors and their loved ones um, and to, it's kind of specific to WW. You can help with like academic, you know, contacting professors and things like that um, and helping them navigate some of the systems. Um, yeah, if a person like wanted to contact someone in the community or wanted culturally specific services, are there other community-based resources that um, are available for folks? Yes, that's a great question. So I think it's important for folks to know that in Washington state, every county has a domestic violence and or sexual assault organization. So here in Bellingham, there are a couple options. So um, folks could contact DVSAS, which is Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Services of Whatcom County. There's also Lummi Victims of Crime, which is uh, specific to Native survivors in the area. Um, For folks who identify as LGBTQ, uh, there's a great organization in, that's based in Seattle, but they work with survivors in various places across the country, and that's the Northwest Network. I think it's important for people to know that there's different options and that they should feel comfortable with the option that they seek out. So some people are going to maybe even prefer to contact like a national hotline. Some people are going to feel more comfortable talking to someone who works at the university. Others are looking for someone who maybe has a shared uh, experience based on their cultural identity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important to know that there's more support that's available than mm-hmm. what's available through CASAS. And that's my job as well, mm-hmm. is to get someone connected with the resource that feels like the best option for them. Absolutely. So they can get a hold of you, or I think also on the pws.ww.edu, there's a list of resources on there as well. There are services specific to deaf survivors, to um, Asian Pacific Islander survivors, Latinx survivors. There are specific services for different identity-based groups. Um, and I know you do a great job of connecting folks there. Brandon, did you want to say something? 
I was just going to ask, um, in your work, Deidre, do you, are you able to develop like long-standing relationships with people that come to you? Um, is that, is that sort yeah. of how? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say it just depends on, on the student, but I have a number of students that I've been in contact with, I would say for the last year, there are students that maybe I met in the first quarter that I was on campus who maybe even just connect with me by email or a quick phone call every once in a while to check in. And so I think it's, it's important for some people to have more of that ongoing support, particularly if in their experience of violence and abuse, they felt very isolated or if friends and family didn't really believe what was going on for them and they kind of lost some of that trust and that connection within their community that it can feel really helpful to build a relationship with someone who's not involved in your daily life, right? And for you to have a space to, to talk about that with someone who's not going to be having dinner with you or showing up to a party with you. Um, so yes, I do, I do work with students for a longer period of time if, if that's what they choose. So I have no no real cutoff that's like after you talk to me for three times, you can't anymore. Doesn't really work that way. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm wondering also, so, you know, you've worked with hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, of survivors of violence. Um, what can you tell us about um, what what survivors need? Like if I, ha I someone in my life has experienced uh, domestic or sexual violence or intimate partner violence, um, what might that person need from me if they disclose something tender about, about their, their lived experiences? Yeah. How can we support That's a survivors? Question. I think um, what I hear very frequently is that someone needs time to share what it is that they feel like they need to share. And so that might not happen in one conversation but they need to know that it's okay to bring it up again, right? So if someone shares an experience of violence with a, a close loved one, with a friend, sometimes there's the fear of like, I've talked about it too much. So I think something that can be really helpful is to reassure someone, like if you need to talk about this again, I'm here for you. Or would you like for me to give you a call in a week and we're gonna talk about this again? So I think sometimes it's that people want a little more support or they want a little more space um, to have that conversation. And then I also hear at the same time that people don't want to be seen as only experiencing that violence, right? To be labeled as someone who is a survivor or to be labeled as someone who is in a healing process or having a hard time, right? So people still want to be treated as a whole person. So I think kind of trying to find that balance for your friend and your loved one, which is how am I checking in with them and letting them know I'm here when they want to talk about it, but I'm not going to push them to talk about it when they're telling me like that's enough. Um, I think letting, letting the survivor lead the conversation is helpful and if, and letting someone know, you know, I don't have an agenda. Sometimes we want to be super helpful and how we want to be helpful is by like doing some research and printing out a list and being like, we're going to do these five things and then suddenly you're going to feel better and let's check one off today. When in reality, your friend maybe doesn't want to do anything on that list. So I think just remembering like you, 
you don't need to come to the conversation or the relationship with an agenda, create some space for them, ask them how they're doing. Like, honestly, the simple question of like, you shared something really hard with me yesterday. How are you doing? Do you want to talk about it again? Or do you want me to not bring it up today? And do you want us to go do something that will distract you? Usually feels really helpful for people. What about, um, so you mentioned, you, you were talking about if, if we know something is, is happening, but what if mm-hmm. we maybe haven't had that conversation yet and we might be thinking that somebody we know is in an unhealthy relationship? Yeah. Um, do you have advice for how to approach that conversation? Yeah, I think we don't know till we ask. And sometimes we're just really scared to ask. And sometimes there's not a right way to do it other than to ask the question. Um, And I think you can start it out with, with saying like, I don't know if this is going on or not, but I've just maybe seen some changes or I'm a little concerned for you because of this thing that I heard. Like, do you want to talk about it? And if you don't want to talk about it today, I just want you to know that like, I sense that something's going on and like, I'll be here when you want to talk about it. And, and someone may not be ready and someone may not feel like it's emotionally safe or even physically safe to have that conversation. Um, and people can sometimes feel defensive, right? Because the person you're probably asking them about is someone that they love and that they care about and they really don't want the violence or abuse to be going on. Most of the time survivors say, I didn't necessarily want to end the relationship. I just wanted them to start, stop hurting me, right? I, wanted, I still wanna be with this person, but I wanna be with them when they treat me at their best, not when they treat me at the worst. But I think just, just asking, is something going on and can I help you with anything? Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I- say, what I'm saying sounds, I'm going to make it sound really easy and it's really hard because like I have these conversations all the time with people in my work, but -hmm. when this has happened kind of in my social circle or in my community, it's hard. And like, Mm -hmm. I struggle with it. I like the idea of like approaching a conversation with no agenda or with no other agenda than love and support and opening yeah. a conversation, right? Like my yeah. only intention here is to let you know that I care about you mm-hmm. and that I'm, I'm concerned about you and that I'm, I'm a resource because I love you or I care for you or I'm your friend. Um, yeah, and sometimes it does take a while. I know that when I was in college, I had a dear friend who was in an abusive relationship for years and, um, the thing that I could do about it was to maintain our friendship um, and let her know that through times when she was more isolated or, um, you know, for whatever was going on, that I was still available, even if we weren't as in contact or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I've seen that work out. um, And also I've seen it not work out, but. Absolutely. And I think going in, going into the conversation with maybe having like an example of a resource can be helpful, right? Mm -hmm. So saying, I don't know if you want to talk to me, but I do know that there's maybe someone on campus you could talk to, or I know that there's like this hotline that you could call. I'll also say that for family and friends, it's really hard to see someone you love be in an abusive relationship, 
or to be in a relationship that maybe they don't even think is abusive, but Mm -hmm. you're seeing it from the outside. Um, And that support's available for you, right? So if you're a student at Western and you have a concern for a friend or for a loved one and you're trying to support them and you need to talk to someone about how to do that, I'm also Mm -hmm. a resource for that as well along with any of the other like helplines or hotlines that are out there. Like an advocate would be happy to have a conversation with you about how you can be the best support to your friend as possible. Mm-hmm. Let's take another quick break and then we'll come back soon. Thank you for listening to this episode with Deidre Evans on the Social Distance Warriors podcast. Just a quick programming note that this conversation was recorded in late October which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Some of the upcoming conversation may seem in the past as it focuses on the things we're doing at Western to bring awareness to domestic violence, but it's important to understand that these conversations can happen year-round. And with that being said, October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is a month devoted to raising awareness of the societal issue of domestic violence, including dating, intimate partner, and relationship violence. We take this time to honor survivors of domestic violence and inspire people to take action to end domestic violence. If you or someone you know have been affected by domestic violence recently or in the past, please know that CASAS is here to support you. They can be reached by calling 360-650-3700. You'll be asked to leave a voicemail with your name, phone number, and email if it is safe to do so. The voicemail will be checked at least once a day, Monday through Friday, between the hours of 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and the CASAS coordinator will follow up with an advocacy request by email or phone. And now back to our conversation with Deidre Evans. All right, we are back. Our guest today is Deidre Evans, who is the CASAS coordinator at WW. And we are talking today about domestic violence or intimate partner violence. There are different, um, there are lots of names for violence within intimate relationships, dating violence, intimate partner violence, domestic violence. Um, And October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I know that... Wow, last year, there was a really visual campaign for raising awareness at Western. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, because of COVID, that looks really different um, when we're all online or most of us are online. So we want to talk a little bit about kind of how our students can be supporting building awareness for Domestic Violence um, Awareness Month and just, yeah, helping to spread the word and um, promote healthy relationships. What are some things that our students can do? Yeah, so I think a quick plug for uh, the Counseling Health and Wellness Instagram is a good way to be involved. So be well, WW. Every Tuesday, we have pure health educators that are part of the CASAS program who are doing Instagram takeovers and their focus for this month on their stories has been Domestic Violence Awareness Month, some kind of basics around what is domestic violence, what are ways that we can have healthy relationships or what does a healthy relationship mean. We've also kind of highlighted some of the support resources on campus. And so I think following that account and viewing those stories is a good way to just educate yourself because what we know is we can't prevent something if we're not aware of it. So we all kind of have to have a basic understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about domestic violence. What do we mean when we talk about unhealthy relationships or abusive behaviors? Same thing, what are, what are healthy behaviors? What are healthy relationships? So if we can all do 
a little education around that, knowing what the resources are that are available, then we have that information if and when someone in our life needs that, uh, I think can be a good first step for people. And something that you can do now that we're all online. Um, so a follow-up question about getting involved, and I think it's pertinent to just the work that, that I do as the men's resiliency specialist. Um, so how, how can male identifying students um, specifically become a part of this conversation? Because I feel like many of the young people I work with, um, while they want to become a part of these conversations as men, they might not necessarily know how to support. Um, and so I'd love to hear just some of your feedback or advices to how men can be supportive in, in these conversations. No, I think that's a great question. And I, I also, yeah, I just, first thought is I want to say that I think it's important to note that men are also survivors of violence, right? And so um, sometimes when we are having these conversations about domestic violence, we are thinking in a binary of um, women being the survivor, men being the perpetrator. We know that while that may be largely the case in straight relationships, that there are men who are experiencing violence and abuse. So I just want to put that out there. Um, in this conversation. So another piece I think for men to note is that they do know someone in their life who's experienced violence, whether it's, you know, they themselves have experienced that or it's been within their family or within their friend group. Um, and people aren't always sure of where to start the conversation, but I think having the conversation, even within the communities or the spaces that you're already a part of is like the first thing to do. So sometimes we have this thought like, I have to join a club or I have to come to an event and am I going to be welcome or do I know what to say or how to kind of be a part of this? But I think it's just shifting the culture to talk about this within our friend groups. So if you're male identified and you hang out predominantly with other men, it's just kind of talking about like, how are your relationships going? We have to start normalizing some of these conversations about just like, how we're doing in general and how we support one another. Um, and again, it's not like the easiest thing to do. It's not easy to be the first person in your friend group to bring that conversation up, but to think about ways that you could do that, which is, hey, I listened to this podcast or I saw this thing on Instagram or my friend was telling me about um, something that they're going through. Like, I don't know how to help them. Can you help me with that? And just kind of trying to find ways to start that conversation. I think Liz also probably has some good ideas. I'm going to see what she has to say. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we have to think about what are the causes of, of domestic violence and intimate partner violence. And those are really layered. So there's kind of those bigger societal, you know, uh, gender norms that impact the way we uh, relate in our individual relationships that sometimes promote um, harmful dynamics um, that don't don't promote consent or you know being vulnerable or sharing emotions or only particular emotions are okay to share um, for different genders, right? Um, so there's kind of those pieces of what does the dominant culture tell us is okay in relationships and how to behave. And then there's, you know, our families and how that influences and then there's individual choices. And so I think that a really powerful um 
thing to do is to start reflecting and um, think about how our own behaviors or the spaces that we move in, have we been able to either interrupt behaviors that contribute to violence or when have we been complicit to behaviors that contribute to violence? Domestic violence and, uh, and intimate partner violence is a, um, is like a symptom of a broader, bigger problem, right? Similar to racism. Um, it's a, it's, it is a, uh, form of oppression, right. Um, that does target particular groups of people based on the bodies they live in. Um, which is why we're thinking of those binaries. Like when we think in our brain, who is harmed and who perpetrates violence, um, you know, we think of those binaries and, um, part of that is because it's the most common form and because it's a system of oppression and, um, and also, you know, there are many people in different bodies that experience many different layers of, of violence. And this is one type of violence in those systems of oppression. So I know those are kind of like big heady things that aren't, um, super tangible, but I think that things that we can do similar to, you know, uh, person who experiences racial privilege, when I'm thinking about how to contribute to anti-racism, some of it, it comes down to internal work and working in my shared identity groups to listen to what's being called for and then acting on it together. So I I think it is kind of can be similar where, you know, um, men who are in shared identity groups um, can look at what are survivors of violence asking for Um, one big one is to be believed, um, you know, and supported and validated, um, just to believe, be believed that, that, that it happened. You know, you see a lot of, um, slogans that say trust women or trust black women, particularly, right? Like people are not believed just because of their identity. Um, and so just kind of digging into that a little bit and going, huh, um, where's that, where are my discomfort levels and where are my, where's, where is my comfort level that I want to fall back on? Um, and I think starting small thinking about times when maybe somebody was being sexually harassed, um, or there was some harmful, you know, conversation happening in a space that you were in that felt like not okay or unethical or toxic, um, you know, um, and did you, or didn't you interrupt and why? Um, so I think kind of like unpacking some of that is a really important part of making change happen. I'm just a firm believer in, um, you know, we have to change ourselves to change the world type of thing. We have to do that internal work. Um, and then beyond that, you know, join, join movements that you see happening, like be the one who joins the, the race, um, be the one who raises money together for a feminist organization, um, or for services, um, be unafraid to say, yeah, we value consent. We care about healthy relationships, ask Casas for help, um, with your sports club or, you know, your other group. Um, we can provide education. We can help host conversations. We can support you in figuring out the ways that work for you too. So long answer. Don't get me talking y'all, you know, I will. Why I just passed it over to you because I knew you have the perfect answer. It's not the perfect answer. And there is no perfect answer to ending violence. It's like, there isn't one. We have to imagine something different and we have to start doing things that are uncomfortable and that are different than what our default behaviors are. Um, If it was simple, we would have already done it. 
So I think sometimes we're looking for like, again, what is that thing that I could do? How can I make this one change and everything's going to be okay? If it was that simple, then it would have already been prevented, right? It's complex. There's many layers to it. There's different ways in which people are oppressed. There's different ways in which people experience violence. But having this conversation or listening to this conversation and being willing to talk about it with one person in your life is making a change. Yeah, and I think um, it's it's such an interesting conversation to have because at least in men's circles, right? Because of their, our inability, and I'll just generalize here, our inability to, to challenge our own like misogynistic circles, right? Oftentimes things come off as like, oh, we are just joking or, you know, and, and so how do we in men, male spaces challenge each other in those small ways instead of always having to think of like this large incremental change that we can make um, is a real important conversation to have. No, I, I appreciate just you bringing up that, that line that happens a lot, which it was just a joke, right? And an easy kind of maybe, or maybe feels like a little less of putting yourself out there response to it is like, I know you were joking and I know you're just saying something that you've heard before, but if we weren't in this space right now, would you have made that joke? Or would that joke have been okay if someone else was here, right? And can we just not do that again? Um, and can be something that people kind of test out when they're hearing like sexist or homophobic or racist comments that are happening or someone is just saying, it was just a joke, don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, and Brandon, you will know this much better than I do, but I know that there are, there's tons of research about like the subtle power dynamics within groups of men also. And um, I think it's important also to say that like, you know, humor and fun is an important part of many groups' mm-hmm. connection process. And, um, you know, it's also it's also big change to normalize kind of floating between humor and fun and accountability because humor is complicated. It's a complicated form of human communication, you know, sarcasm and playing with um, people's like tender spots a little bit and poking fun and teasing, you know, I'm, I tend toward the teasing. Okay. But if I hurt you, I want to know, cause I care about you, you know, and that's a hard thing to call out in a sincere way, I think, cause it's a vulnerable thing to do. It's, it requires you saying, ouch, that kind of hurt. <laughs> and that's not an easy thing for men to do sometimes. And I'm, and I think there are many reasons for that. There are very clear messages that that is not an okay thing to do. And in fact, you compromise your identity of masculinity or manhood. If you do that too much, like according to, you know, some of the, the narratives in, in dominant culture, but um, yeah, anyway, so I, I think that we can, also playfully integrate conversations about what we, what we care about. And that's actually a really important way that I do education about consent and relationships, because we also can't be heavy all the time, or we're never going to have the conversation. Like we have to, um, integrate it in the way that works for us. So yeah, it's complicated, but Deidre, before we kind of close out today, I'm wondering if you could share a couple of things. One, what do you want, um, you know, survivors 
of abuse or violence, um, what do you want them to hear? And, um, and what do you want every student at Western to hear or know about relationships and consent? Yeah. So I think for any survivor that might be listening to this, I would want you to hear that you're not alone, even though it may feel that way. Um, you don't have to be alone in this process. Um, you don't deserve to be be harmed by the people that you love and the people that you care about and that it's not easy. So if it's, if it's hard right now in the relationship that you're in and you're not sure what to do or kind of where to go, that, that makes sense. Um, but you deserve to have a space where you can talk about that and you deserve to feel supported in whatever decisions you decide to make to keep yourself as safe as possible. Um, want you to know there are people who believe you, there are people who support you, there are people who want you to be able to achieve all the things that you want to achieve. You are here as a student for a reason. You have probably set many goals for yourself and you deserve to have time and attention for that. And so if you are looking for support or you um, just need to hear that like, what's happening to you is not okay. I want you to know there are people in the community that truly believe that. And what I would say, I think broadly to the Western community is, is something that's already been said, but everyone, I think everyone deserves to be treated with love and respect in their relationships and to have a healthy relationship that is fulfilling and that is something that you want to be engaged in and that is kind of our goal in doing this work so i think for everyone to know that that's something that they deserve and to know that you actually can be be a support to someone who's maybe experiencing violence or abuse so we all know someone who has had that experience or is experiencing that and i think something that we can do is to just ask people how they are and to show up for our friends and family in a time when they might need us. So Deidre, I have a question about um, the challenging work that you do on a daily basis and how you are an advocate um, for people uh, while also operating in a somewhat bureaucratic system of higher education and how you navigate some of those challenges um, while, while still trying to be an advocate and, and, and do the work that you want there that you need to do? That is a great question. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that we all live and operate within systems and institutions and that there is bureaucracy within all of that, right? And so for, a survivor of violence, they have enough that they're managing, right? Managing staying in a relationship or leaving a relationship, feeling safe on campus, feeling supported. Um, that I really stay motivated by knowing that what I can do is advocate for that student and for what it is that they're saying is going to feel supportive. That may not always align with um, policies or practices that are in place. And so then I see 
my role as an advocate or as a coordinator to bring survivor voices to the table or to share how that policy or practice is maybe not serving the students. Um, that doesn't mean that things change overnight, but I think that it's important to acknowledge when things aren't working in specific ways. Um, we hear this from survivors about every system and every institution that they have to navigate, whether that's the medical system, whether that's the criminal legal system, whether that's working with law enforcement, um, making a report through a university, right? There's all these steps that are always put into place that don't necessarily seem manageable for someone who's experiencing violence or trauma. So I view it as my role to help someone navigate that and to be their voice um, when they've asked me to be or when they're not feeling heard, um, when they're not feeling like someone is giving them the time and attention that they deserve. Uh, doesn't mean that things change overnight, but I'll kind of be the one who, who keeps pushing and keeps moving that conversation forward. And that motivates me and that keeps me going um, in my work to hopefully create spaces and create institutions um, where one, people aren't experiencing violence, but two, if someone has experienced violence, they're being supported in their healing process and that they can still be a student at Western. I feel so warm and supported right now. I really appreciate you and care about you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for your heart and for all the work that you put into, yeah, for caring our people, for our people. Um, yeah. Yeah, you uh, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. That's Liz, that's how I was feeling too. Um, you know, I really value Deidre's presence and um, someone who I've learned from specifically, you know, the, in working in, through certain student scenarios and needing advice and um, being able to go to Deidre and knowing that, you know, there's confidentiality and all these things that um, Deidre is able to uh, work through and uphold. And, um, and so it's really in honor and, and it's just been fun to kind of hear more about what you do. Cause I don't know that oftentimes we sit down and actually talk sometimes <laughs> with our colleagues, like specifically now tell me what more do you do? So it was really good to hear a little bit more specifically about what you do. And um, I just think our campus is very lucky to have someone such as you to be an advocate. So it, it was a great conversation. Well, thank you. I'm just going to say the same thing that you both <laughs> said, which is that you made me feel all warm and fuzzy and just, yeah, thank you for having me here and having this conversation and bringing it to, I think, the broader community, which is so important. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. That's it for today, folks. Go follow at BeWellWW on Instagram and we will chat next time. <laughs>